You're listening to ZZ Talk, a father-son generational podcast where we talk about entertainment, culture, and a variety of other subjects from the perspectives of both Gen Z and Gen X. I'm Noah. I'm Greg. And this is ZZ Talk. Hello, hello, and welcome to the show. So as we move into our third week of November, we are continuing Comedy Month. And uh, this week we chose Caddyshack, a movie that came out in 1980. So it's keeping in tradition with some of the films we've been watching, which have been older. Now, that wasn't an intentional decision. It's just one of those classic comedies that we both hadn't seen. And we wanted to finally get around to watching. Now, I will admit my dad and I are not uh, huge golf fans or, you know, I guess um, people who follow golf that often, but we didn't think that that would really affect anything in our enjoyment of this movie because at the end of the day, it's a spoof. We know it's a comedy and it's one of the classics that a lot of people hold in high regard. So uh, with that in mind, do you have the synopsis for this movie pulled up? I do. Let me read it. Danny Noonan, a teen down on his luck works as a caddy at the snob-infested Bushwood Country Club to raise money for his college education. In an attempt to gain votes for a college scholarship reserved for caddies, Noonan volunteers to caddy for a prominent and influential club member. Um, I thought he was like the president of the club. Anyway, meanwhile, Danny struggles to prepare for the high-pressure Caddy Day golf tournament while absorbing new age advice from a wealthy golf guru, Ty Webb, played by Debbie Chase. So, yep, that's it. No, the big thing is, is we're not golfers. So we're coming at this with really no bias other than. Yeah. And I think that's the best way to go into most movies. No preconceived notions or real expectations on my end. Um, Obviously, I think we had seen stills from Stitch together of classic movies and maybe seen the groundhog in this one. But otherwise, I don't really know much about it. But uh, like my dad was saying before, there's a pretty good cast here. Uh, Chevy Chase, uh, Rodney Dangerfield, Ted Knight, Michael O'Keefe, and of course, Bill Murray, who would go on to even greater things after this. And it was also directed by Harold uh, Ramis. And I, wasn't he in Ghostbusters? I'm pretty sure he was. He was, yes. Yeah. So um, obviously there's a high pedigree here. And uh, right here on the Wikipedia page, it says that the film has a cult following and was described by ESPN as perhaps the funniest sports movie ever made. Now, I don't know when they said that, but um, I'm interested to know what you think. But before we go into that... Um, what service did you stream this on again? I can't remember which one it was. I had to purchase it for $3.99 off Apple TV+. Plus. I had to do that on Amazon as well. I believe oh, there was okay. some sort of package or something like that. But yeah. either way, that's how we got it. Um, you'll probably have to do the same. But uh, yeah, so this movie was released, obviously, in 1980, the same year that Airplane came out. And it was made for a budget of 4.8 to 6 million and made $60 million, which was a whole heck of a lot of money back then. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, by today's standards, if you have a similar budget, but all that aside, it's a successful movie. It's, it's held in high regard. I want to know what you thought of it. Well, once again, we're taking it back to 1980, which was what, 42 years ago now, which mm-hmm. is hard to believe. And, you know, we have a thing with the 1980 films in this because we've talked about on this pod because we've talked about Airplane, not as a not as a film to review because we've seen it a million times and Mm -hmm. obviously obviously hold that in extremely high regard. 
But uh, The Shining was from 1980 as well. So I don't know where I was in 1980 that I missed a couple of these movies, but I know where I was. I was 12 years old. And while probably a lot of my friends were really into Caddyshack, I think Caddyshack was playing to the 15, 16-year-old set, maybe a little Mm -hmm. bit more than the 12-year-old set. And so I remember this film being out. I remember Bill Murray being very popular. Um, You know, for me, and I don't don't think you picked up on this because you might have mentioned it, but I saw in the credits that this was co-written by Brian Doyle Murray. Now, yes. Brian Doyle, Mayor, Doyle Murray, Murray is in the film, and we all know him. Well, you and I know him as Mr. Ellert. Yes, in the middle. Um, <laughs> right. it, it's it's really funny because I actually didn't know that he was um, Bill Murray's I, brother. I did not know that. Neither I had not that together. Bill Murray um, has a ton of siblings. I don't know if you looked him up, but he, they have a ton of siblings. I did a little bit of research here and I didn't really go that far, but I was, um, I was pleasantly surprised to find that out because he kind of yes. pops up here and there and in a lot of places really. But and of course um, they, I watch on average an episode of 10 episodes of the middle a week still. So, <laughs> which is a great endorsement of that show. Um, now, so I do want to, before we get into uh, what we both think of it, um, you were talking about how this is one of those older movies, and this is probably a point that we're going to touch on later. So when I was doing research, I noticed that, you know, sometimes when we watch films, and we've discussed this before in the past, it can be really hard to separate the time it was from and compare it to today's standards, or at least take it for what it was back then. And I just want to clarify, do you watch movies by holding them relative to today's standards in some capacity, or do you try your best to think of it as it was a movie of its time and you kind of keep it there? What do you usually do when you watch movies? Certainly the latter. And I, I don't know how one could actually enjoy a movie from 42 years ago and hold it to today's standards. Times were different. Comedy was different. Filmmaking was different. People were different back then. Culturally, cultural norms were different. So I think if you if you have to watch things in context, right? Yes. Uh, or at least in my opinion. I'm big on context in general. And so for me, I went into this film thinking, okay, this is a 1980 film. This is um, w- one of my favorite films of all time is from 1980, Airplane. Mm-hmm. But it's also six years uh, more recent than last week's um, Blazing Saddles. So mm-hmm. You know, I went into it and maybe, maybe, Noah, in part, it's very contextual for me because we just watched a movie from the 1950s. Then we jumped to the 1970s. Now we're finally in the 80s. Your favorite decade. Which is really the only decade. But um, then there are other decades coming that, you know, maybe, as I said to you before we started recording, we could actually find a comedy that might be closer to the 21st century. But we'll save that for the end of the pod. Yeah, absolutely. And um, yeah, we'll talk about that more later. Mm-hmm. It was interesting to see that most of these people, whether they're slightly older than me, a lot older than me, or just younger than me, are obviously 42 years older now. And it's crazy to think that, you know, the main character, Danny Noonan, is nearing 60 if he is not mm-hmm. uh, above that already. So it's, yeah, it's I, just, I looked them up. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I think uh, obviously Chevy Chase and Bill Murray are around, but can't really say the same for uh, some of the other actors in this. Yeah. Because Rodney I mean, Dangerfield died in the early 2000s. I exactly. Think. It just puts a lot into perspective just how much time has passed. And I just kind of wanted to point that out sort of as a support to what you made. What of, I kind of wanted to point that out 
in support of the point you just made. So, um, yeah, let's get into it. Do you want me to go first or do you want to? You go first, but I want to make a a comment about cast in just a minute. Go ahead. Sure. Um, I liked this movie. I thought it was pretty funny. I didn't think it was laugh out loud every single time, but I thought it was more funny than Blazing Saddles. And while it was certainly crass at times, I didn't find it nearly as offensive but I definitely find that some of these more popular movies from, uh, you know, a bygone era are definitely more mean spirited. Um, it, it's kind of funny. There's uh, very little in the way of happy endings. And a lot of the characters themselves are mostly unlikable. Um, a lot of them are extremely flawed, if not goofy and just funny to watch. But I found that this movie was pretty good by today's standards in terms of its humor um obviously it had a lot of stuff that is you know kind of a thing of the past but overall I enjoyed myself I thought the story was really you know simple but the characters themselves were pretty funny overall and I liked the way that they all worked the film itself was kind of loosely structured in a way but I did enjoy some of the goofier moments and um I thought Chevy Chase's character was interesting and I liked how they all kind of worked together when they were um, when they were sharing the screen. So overall, you know, I didn't think it was terrible. I, I definitely have some gripes with it, but, um, you know, I didn't love it so much that it was, you know, automatically one of my favorites. I would definitely I would definitely say it's above average, but below excellent, if you know what I'm saying. I do know what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. I um, let me just comment on the cast here. I, I'm not familiar with Michael O'Keefe, although he was Oscar nominated at one point for a film. I've forgotten which one, but um, I'm not familiar with him. But Ted Knight was somewhat fresh off playing Ted Baxter, the iconic role in the Mary Tyler Moore show. Hmm. So Ted Knight was was huge. He he died very suddenly, as I recall. Um, Six years later, of, after yeah, the yeah, at the age of sixty-three, I think, or sixty-two or sixty-three. So he was he was quite young. Um, Rodney Dangerfield was a huge get for this film because, as I recall, he was very, very popular. It's funny that you say that because I heard that uh, I read that this movie significantly boosted his profile because at the time he was a successful stand-up comedian, but unlike today being in one side of the entertainment industry didn't seamlessly translate into another part of it. I think well, nowadays anyway. when maybe you're a big comedian, you can be a lot more than just that. I'd maybe think of Pete Davidson, for example. So it's just like this apparently boosted his profile so much that he became, I believe the person that you remember him being, he well, was successful in the comedy space, but I think that was smaller and more of a fledgling emerging sort of uh, form of popular entertainment at the time, because I think Richard Pryor and maybe Sam Kinison were popular um, around then. But um, I actually did read that this greatly boosted his profile. Well, and that well may be. I think what this also did, though, was this brought him, to your point, to a mass audience. Mm -hmm. Because I think his brand of humor was pretty crass. um, And so he had to tone it down a little bit for Caddyshack. So this was more of a crowd-pleasing movie. And, you know, it's a it's a teen romp kind of thing. Right. But um, mm-hmm. I mean, let's face it. We we know the target audience for this. Um, but I did think, you know, when you think about it, maybe. When you reflect on history, you think Chevy Chase, Bill Murray, Rodney Dangerfield, all in the same film. There's no wonder this film is iconic in its own right. 
Yes, it does have, I guess it was really that perfect storm of people because mm-hmm. I can't really name another film where they, I guess, like around this time period where they had somewhat of a mixture of the three. And before, I guess, you know, the frat pack of the 2000s and, you know, multiple known actor comedians were coming around. This was kind of like a, a heavy hitting, com- <clears throat> a heavy hitting combo. So I, yeah. I feel like this was pretty big profile, really well casted for a comedy at the time. Yeah. Yeah. So my, my take on this is I liked it fine. It was, you know, there were, I thought the pool scene was the most winning scene in the entire, mm-hmm. you know, they were um, synchronized swimming. That was amusing to me. Um, and then of course the, the candy bar, which, which was misinterpreted for something else. That was pretty funny. There were some other sort of funny scenes you know chevy chase some people love him some people don't you know there are reports that he's not a very nice person Mm -hmm. but at the same time his sense of humor is very sort of i don't know if it's subtle or underhanded but it's it's It's, it's, i don't know how to describe it but i find it kind of funny it's subtle and deadpan and i think that's what you really liked in airplane because a lot of what they say is taken quite literally and it's kind of everything is said with almost a straight face and that's why it's funny yeah like yeah. the like the line when he says do you do drugs danny and he goes every day sir and he goes good good uh, exactly you exactly. know and it's like nothing and, and they never really uh, expand upon that yeah. right so yeah. I, I i i totally get what you're saying and mm-hmm. i did see elements of what i loved in airplane that's the last time i'm going to say on it i promise <laughs> you know we love the movie um but yeah I, I i definitely i enjoyed that type of um humor too it's you know it's it's very it's serious i think it's just called deadpan comedy where you just deliver this absurd line i think leslie nielsen did that really well right um as an actor uh during his films yeah i i think it's um you know the characters are exaggerated wildly you know for example i mean rodney dangerfield's character ted knight's character all of the characters i mean bill murray's character and he's just so you know determined to get the uh the gopher and I want to talk to you about the gopher and just sort of the the look of the gopher in just a minute. But I thought the um, Ted Knight's wife, uh, the older lady, just I, it was so exaggerated, so classically 1980s comedy funny mm-hmm. that it almost took me back. It was a little bit. It was actually a lot of a throwback for me, even though I'd never seen it to a time where comedy was quite different than it is now. Yeah, certainly. And so with that in mind, um, it seems like we had a pretty similar opinion on this movie. And uh, would you recommend this to somebody who hasn't seen it or is looking for a comedy to watch? No. I would say the opposite. I would say yes, because I think a decent amount of people could get some enjoyment out of this. I can see why it had such widespread appeal, and I would definitely recommend it to somebody who hadn't at least seen it before. Yeah, I didn't I didn't dislike the movie. I, th- I certainly liked it better than Blazing Saddles. Um, but I just thought, oh, okay, it's fine. If I had never seen this film, my life would be no different. Mm-hmm. And and so therefore I can't imagine recommending it to to someone. I mean, if someone says, give me a 1980s comedy I haven't seen about golf or about sports. <laughs> <laughs> what a very tailored request you might have. Yeah. But I might say, have you seen Caddyshack? But I have no interest in seeing Caddyshack too. And, and so therefore, you know, one is plenty. I, I, you know, I, I I enjoyed it more than I expected to. How's that? Yeah, I think that's, I think that's good enough. And I think that's also a very fair answer because your friend circles are 
obviously much different than my friend circles in terms of what we're willing to watch. Or my friend circles though, are all golfers. So they have probably all seen this movie and probably, and many of my friends were alive in 1980, unlike yours, but you know, <laughs> I think a lot of them, if they weren't probably have seen it because they're big, big golfers, by the way, Jim Furyk was a childhood friend of mine. I just want all of our pod listeners to know that. So, okay, I'll move on. Noah's looking at me like, who is Jim Furyk? But that's no, okay. I know, I know the you know story. My story right? And I kind of wish you opened it with that. Uh, mm-hmm. too. I thought about that. Yes. I, I am friends with a pro golfer um, and have been for 50 years. All right. Well, I'm going to put that in uh, the description of our episode. You just should catch people's attention. But yeah, um, yeah. Before we very very good that we will double our listenership because of yeah. That. <laughs> before we expand on the story, um, yeah. I'll also, just give a shout out to Max. He's a big time golfer. This is one of his all time favorite movies. He kind of um, he kind of pushed us to watch it earlier than we probably would have. So um, he highly recommended it, and it was a fun time watching it with him as well. He when did you watch it? Oh man, I think we watched it on what's today Monday. I think we watched it on Wednesday night. Oh, if I'm not, I was surprised it. you had watched it when I watched it, and I texted you yesterday morning at six thirty and told you I was watching Caddyshack. Um, I I thought you'd say, "Oh, I got to watch it yet," but nope, you had watched it. So good for you. I'm doing good pretty well with that. All right, you regardless, are. let's get right. into I guess spoilers. Just yeah, I don't have a lot to say about it that I that I already haven't said. Yeah, that's um, fair enough. All right, yeah. so let's just talk a little bit about it. And um, I, I guess I, I, I guess an easy way to sort of begin with is what did you like the best about the movie and what did you like the least about the movie? What were the good parts? What were yeah. the bad parts? Okay, so I had no idea what the story – I knew golf was the background, of course, but I had no idea what the story was. So, you know, given the work that I do and I, I work in a university setting – and scholarships are big, right? You know, I thought, okay, so they're going to have a competition for, uh, you know, rece- uh, receiving a scholarship that'll help fund a college education. So for me, it it sort of, you know, rang true to something I know quite a bit about. Mm-hmm. Um, so I like that. Um, I thought that it was funny enough, certainly funnier than Blazing Saddles to me. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I thought like the characters were sort of, giving it their all for what it was. That's all I've got, really. It was fine. Yeah, definitely. I think the movie didn't take itself seriously, obviously, but I think it's I think it's on this level of parody and maybe not parody, but just, you know, everybody's a caricature, like you were saying. Everybody. It's so exaggerated and it's so absurd that I think that's just what makes it enjoyable because even if you don't love the movie, I feel like in order to have a really negative opinion on something, you have to have taken something seriously about it. There's nothing really with this movie to take seriously. It's something, like you said, you can go on with your life and really not enjoy it uh, or having not watched it. But it's it's entertaining and it's good fun when the going's good. You know, it's never it's, it's never a movie that just really bothers you. It's something that is just so ridiculous. It's uh, it. I guess that's just really what it's known for. In many yeah, ways. I, you know, you asked me what didn't I like about it. Well, I, I wondered and I wanted to talk about this on on air, um, The Gopher. So obviously The Gopher is intended to look very artificial, right? Yeah. Uh, I <laughs> Maybe mean, that was the limits of technology at the time. Well, and that, that was my question. Was that a function of the limits of technology? Partially, but also it it too is exaggerated, right? Because, mm-hmm. you know, Bill Murray's entire uh, quest during the film is to, you know, rid the golf course of the gopher. 
And of course, at the end, obviously the the conclusion, the 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 scene where he blows up the puts dynamite in a hole and and all of the you know the golf course just sort of explodes kind of thing <laughs> at the yeah, very culmination of the golf tournament right so mm-hmm. i mean you know it's exactly totally harmless completely enjoyable wildly unnecessary there you go that's my review exactly it's it's easy watching for sure mm-hmm. and i definitely know that a lot of comedies that followed this probably followed that somewhat formula yeah. Uh, uh, you know, just how it went. Obviously, if it wasn't the same subject matter of the movie, it, it was I, I can see how it inspired many others. Um, there's obviously like, you know, a couple things in the movie that were just like a little bit weird to me that I think is just kind of part of 70s and 80s film. Like what? Give me an example of one. So Danny obviously has a girlfriend or a girl he's smitten with. And then the uh, good looking new woman comes in for the summer and then obviously, you know, Danny mm-hmm. cheats on together, right. on his girlfriend and nothing is ever really said about that. And I guess that's right. I'm not looking for realism or anything like that. But then there was a mention of his original girlfriend getting pregnant. Yeah. And she said, well, it might not be yours. And then nothing uh-huh. is really questioned about that. So it's are we led to believe, OK, so they just kind of they're kind of in this open relationship or it's like they don't get bothered by you know what the other person does but it's just kind of funny because i feel like they both at least suggest or explicitly on screen are you know make some very flawed judgments but nothing really comes of that and you're kind of like what and i don't feel like that was intentional or part of a spoof or anything i just thought that was just kind of weak structurally strange filmmaking and could have been probably cut out from the movie well, altogether well yeah, that's true but one of the things that one of the comments you made when we watched uh and we talked about some like it hot was and we both agreed filmmaking is different nowadays they would need to explore all of that we would need a whole side story on that and yes in the right. older films and older filmmaking you you didn't get that and frankly i miss not getting it because it just makes every movie too long and every movie unnecessarily just um i don't know unnecessary le- unnecessarily lengthy and so I, I know i've repeated myself multiple times here but that's what i think i liked about the way filmmaking used to be because they didn't have to take every single plot line and expand it into a story that the viewer had to witness and then um, neatly wrap it up i mean and in many ways wrap it, it up in many ways two hours and 20 minutes into it yeah in many ways it almost felt like you were somebody was just following them around with a camera almost. Yeah, it was yeah. just kind of what was happening. And, you know, um, that's still a criticism of mine, but I was at a crossroads where I was just kind of thinking, well, I kind of do appreciate that not everything has to be a major separate side plot. But on the other hand, I was just kind of like, context, please? That just kind of yeah. happened. Are we supposed to feel a certain way about that? But it's, you know, once again, that might be the conventions of a modern viewer such as myself. And maybe you remember more of a time where stuff like that just kind of happened and nobody really asked questions. Then again, it's purely for entertainment, so it's not that serious. But I did notice, you know, a couple moments here and there where I was just like, you know, does that really need to be in the movie? Or just like, that wasn't really um, expanded upon. But then again, not everything does. So I, I, I think that's a good uh, counter to what I was saying. Yeah. The last thing I'll say is, what about the opening scene with all those kids in the house? Uh, I thought oh. we were going to an orphanage. <laughs> well, no, it just seems like a big family. Uh, and then one of the older ones is 
wanting to go to college, but doesn't have the money for it. So he's afraid he'll be working in a lumber yard and uh, he just finds out about a scholarship and tries to, yeah, I guess there's no sibling dynamic or really bizarre. I mean, there's just like, you know, 40 kids and or 20 kids in this house. And I'm led to believe that this is some kind of children's home, but it's ultimately, I guess we deduce that it's just a family. And that was sort of you're, you're in on the joke. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I don't know, maybe some part of me just feels like, I feel like in today's world, there's just less children per household, but maybe it was more common back then to have kind of, I don't know, maybe some people would have more than five or six children. So who knows? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But yeah, that is immaterial regardless, but just some funny things that we noticed. Um, But yeah, overall, Caddyshack was a pretty good movie. Um, I think both of us just had that very strong opinion. It wasn't anything excellent, but it got some laughs out of me. It might've gotten some laughs out of you. I did really like the synchronized swimming or when the guy was playing golf in the rain and then he got electrocuted, that that was just, you know, some of that was really funny. Uh, and that really outstanding CGI was fantastic. I think that's what made it better. Almost, yeah. Though. I, I mean, think it, it was probably even back then exaggerated. So, uh-huh. you know, for a laugh. Yeah, it, it's funny because, you know, if I were to go back and watch maybe like a fantasy or a sci-fi movie from 35 years ago, it would age poorly because I know it was technology of its time, but it just wouldn't look as good. I feel like that almost adds to the film's favor because it looked so stupid, you know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So All right. you got to take that. Yeah. So that's Caddyshack. How many Z's are you going to give it, Noah? I'm going to give Caddyshack three Z's out of five, I believe. Wow. Okay. I'm giving Caddyshack two Z's out of five. Mm-hmm. Um, I enjoyed it. It was fine. Um, like I said, totally harmless, worth watching, but not, not worth recommending. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. So with, with that all apologies the- to my friend, Jim Furyk. Okay. <laughs> so with that out of the way, um, thank you for listening to another episode of, um, our podcast but we do obviously have our last section to add, which is obviously we do. yes. Yeah. What do you have Noah? So around this time of year. Maybe we've talked about it on the pod, but we usually talk about it after. I'm not nearly as much of a Christmas fan as uh, my mom and my dad. Uh, They've already done their decorating. They have been listening to Christmas music for a while now, and they listen to Christmas music uh, quite a while after Christmas, I feel like, as well. That's not a call out. It's just something they really enjoy. They get really into the season. Now, I'm not much of a holiday true holiday music fan or you know too much of a hallmark christmas movie guy but i do enjoy the general feel of the season right everything's a bit cozier with thanksgiving and christmas coming around so i like to be able to basically you know bundle up and watch a really great movie from that kind of just like embodies that feeling and so for me this was true back in 2011 or 12 and i think it's just as true now um, I would recommend that you check out the Muppets uh, from all the way back then. It's the one of the most recent iterations of them, but the movie came out around November and I don't remember if it has a Christmas theme to it or anything like that, but it's just a kind hearted film. And I think we've been watching so many movies that maybe aren't, maybe just aren't really in that spirit. It's just, it's a really good movie that sort of explores how the Muppets are kind of you know past their prime and perhaps nobody really you know wants them anymore 
Um, but it also does such a great job of revitalizing like the Muppets to a new generation. It's just a really kind, fun movie that I really loved during that holiday season all the way back then. And <clears throat> it's got some good songs as well, but it's just a really good movie. And I think it's perfect for this, where we are right now in the holidays, you know, right before uh, Christmas and Thanksgiving between November and December. I, I think it's just a really good movie to watch around this time of year. I love that. Check it out. That's a great one. No. Yeah. 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 I like, I like it too. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, I got another, I got one that's also kind hearted. So not only are your mom and me, are, are we uh, decorating for Christmas? We're not completely finished. Actually, your mom's doing all the decorating right now, but I'll, I will contribute to that once mm -hmm. I'm off from work. Uh, we are listening to Christmas music. We're also watching Christmas movies, your favorite. And so uh, you know that A Christmas Story is a very popular cult classic holiday film, right? Oh, uh, yeah, of course. Um, it became a classic film long after it premiered. I went to see it in the movie theater back in 1983 and thought, oh, okay. But anyway, it's a classic. So they have made a sequel to it. It's called A Christmas Story Christmas, and it is on HBO Max. And it is starring P Peter Billingsley, who was the kid in a christmas story no kidding and the whole cast is back those who are able to be back the mom has been recast um but we watched it last night it was the second christmas movie we watched yesterday uh -huh. and i gotta tell you it's really good that's great to hear because it's actually I, really really good i think it's better than the first one well it's funny because i feel like i remember when i first saw a christmas story because they air at 24 hours a day on christmas yes they do i asked your opinion on it and you said yeah i actually really never liked it as much as everybody else but i feel like that's always the I feel, <laughs> I feel like you like it more now than you used to and the movie's kind of grown on you um more so maybe that's not true but i feel like uh it's good to hear that a long belated sequel to a Christmas movie um, can actually be pretty solid. So uh, that's good it, to hear. It really is. In fact, it, there's something about this movie that just feels more authentic than all the Christmas movies that, you know, they, they film in three days in July in Canada, and then they ship down to the U S to, <laughs> you know, I mean, all the, you know, with the fake snow and, and, and all that. I love those movies. Do not get me wrong. But this one just felt more authentic, felt like they spent more money on it, felt like the actors were really not just phoning it in. It, it's really worth seeing. I highly recommend watching it. And you don't need to see or rewatch the first one to enjoy this one. It's a, it's a film that's good enough to stand on its own. And it doesn't have a million flashbacks either. And it doesn't, it's not set in present day. It, whereas the, the other one was set in the, I don't know what era, it was set in the 50s maybe. This one is set in the 70s, which makes sense because he's like 20 30 years older so interesting uh, 35 okay yeah, yeah. Anyway. well that's cool so a christmas story christmas check it out on hbo max yeah i think that's a really good recommendation um well great yeah i know that we are nearing uh, the holidays and i do wanted I, I do want to talk about maybe a little bit of what we might do in december i think we agree that we're going to have to do christmas movies but great there is a movie by me there is a movie called violent night with mm -hmm. the guy from stranger things on hbl max yeah what's his name david harbour 
uh, yes, uh, it's on HBO Max. I've seen that. I've not oh, seen the movie. It's on HBO Max? It's on one of the streaming services. Oh, I've you're seen... telling me I don't have to go to a theater to watch you it? <laughs> Just ask me, Noah. You know me. If I can watch it in front of my on my couch, I will watch it on my couch. Okay, yes. that's perfect because I didn't want to see it. And then Grace was like, oh my gosh, we have to see that. And then I was just thinking, well, okay, if she wants to see it, I'll go see it. If it's on a streaming service, I will totally watch that and we should review it. <laughs> Fine with me, but that's not a comedy. So we need one more comedy for comedy month. So what oh, I'm just talking in terms of December. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, yes. The fourth comedy is yet to be determined. And I know we only have three minutes left here, but you brought up a good point. You think we need to get out of, um, you know, you think we need to start watching more modern movies. And I think that is very fair. Now I've seen more modern comedies, I suppose you could say, but Anything from the mid '90s to the 2000s is probably part of the genre I haven't explored there, but I have seen a lot of the classics of the 2000s and whatnot. So I'm interested to see where we do land on that. Me too. We'll have to talk about that off, off air. By the way, uh, Violent Night is streaming on Netflix. Netflix. So you know, yes, and also on uh, Amazon Prime. Which means you can probably rent it there. <laughs> exactly. Because exactly. Amazon is literally the least transparent. Uh, uh, I completely agree. Your media. It's like, oh, look what's on Amazon Prime. Oh, for $14.99. Okay, forget it. Oh, shoot. Okay, I actually kind of got to do a bonus. Check it out. Look at me for doing this. Um, huh. So I had a, this is really important because it's right before, and I guess we'll be right after maybe Cyber Monday. I don't know. Anyway, so. This will be I, Cyber Monday. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, no, no, no. This will play on Wednesday. Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Perfect. So I had a TV that I had, had for five years and I put up a piece of art up above it uh, with command strips and it fell down and it destroyed my TV. So I have not had a TV for about two months now. And um, so I was just thinking to myself, well, I need one for my room. What am I going to do? So speaking of Amazon, I looked at some deals at Best Buy and I found that some really great smart TVs with high resolution are going for about a hundred bucks right now. And you can find something like 48 inch TVs, 64 inch TVs for their best prices ever. So if you're in the market for a TV for Christmas or right now, I would highly recommend looking at them and looking at those deals and seeing if you can find them in the store because I was luckily able to walk in before the madness that will be Thursday or Friday. Um, but these are incredible deals. I'm seeing giant smart TVs that are usually five, $600 for 150 or $200. So wow. go check whatever electronics retailers you have. If you are looking for a TV, because I got mine for a hundred bucks and it's the best TV I've ever personally owned. So, and this is how we roll now. Noah does two check it outs. Okay. <laughs> well, just thought it was important. That That's more of a PSA, but yeah, okay. check that's right. All right. Well, with that in mind, thank you so much for listening to another episode of our podcast. We look forward to uh, joining you next week with our next comedy. But uh, until then, I'm Noah. I'm Greg. And this is Easy Talk.